Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Hello and welcome to the Omega Particle. I'm your gracious and humbled host, Jonathan Wiegand, the anchorman of the Federation, the creme de la creme. No moronic episode reviews in this podcast. No, we're going to be dealing with the prime directive today. And gosh, is that a philosophical question and debate we're going to be into? But also, it's, it feels like it's a philosophy 101 class because it's like, what is moral, what's not? has dealt with this, has argued this in some way, shape, or form, and today we're going to be giving pretty much just background on the Prime Directive for those of you in real Linda that don't know, and then also kind of an argument for and against, and then this uh, humble Federation anchorman is going to give his opinion uh, how maybe we can do it better. Build back better, right baby? (laughs) Maybe we can do it better, but before we get into the meat of that podcast, Today, um, a little quick notes, um, Star Trek 4 is actually coming back into theaters, and it's been remastered in 4K. If you don't remember Star Trek 4, that's the double dumbass on you one. <laughs> it's celebrating its 35th anniversary. It's going to be premiering Thursday, August 19th, and Sunday, August 22nd, so check that out. I'm excited for I've never seen any of the Star Trek movies in a theater before. Um, I'm talking the OG ones, like the first six. And so I'm definitely be going probably alone. <laughs> My wife is not uh, super keen on Star Trek. Maybe she'll come with me. I don't know. It's going to be a lot of fun. So check that out. And also, um, today we found out that the second season of Lower Decks is coming in August. So I'm super pumped for that because the first season, I loved it so much. And the second season is coming. So it's going to be great. And we got a couple of looks. There was a teaser trailer. So we got some looks of some new uniforms and maybe some like alien species that we really don't touch on that much. So Let's not wait any further. Let's get right into the Prime Directive. All right, Luna, let's roll it. Fun will now commence. So before we get into the debate of whether the Prime Directive is good, bad, let's just get a reminder of exactly what the Directive is and what it calls for. So the Prime Directive is, of course, known as Starfleet General Order Number 1, quote-unquote, the Non-Interference Directive, And it's probably one of the most cornerstone, I wouldn't even say it's the cornerstone of all Star Trek like policy when it's dealing with out in space. It's the number one rule and you don't break it. That's pretty much what it's been preached at to us through all of the golden ages of Star Trek. So it's a non-interference with other cultures and civilizations. And at its core was the philosophical concept that covered personnel they should refrain from interfering in a natural, unassisted development of societies, even if the interference was well-intentioned. And we'll get into that because, I mean, we've all seen these episodes where the entire society is breaking down or it's going to be abolished. What do you do? And now that we know what it is, where did it come from? It was like a Federation Council or was it adopted decree like the Federation created when it was made and um to me i actually kind of forgot about this and it really doesn't come out and say it to you so if you've never even watched the enterprise 
series, you this is going to be all new to you. But if you have watched the Enterprise series, still, it's something that I was like, oh, that was sneaky. <laughs> they snuck that in there a little bit. So the Vulcans. Now, if you remember the famous Enterprise episode, Carbon Creek, that whole arc, um, the Vulcans used a series of protocols similar to the Prime Directive as early as 1957. And why do we know it's 1957? Because they talked about it in the Carbon Creek arc. But there's even um, an enterprise that Paul suggests that Archer, that it should be wise for Starfleet to adopt quote-unquote Vulcan protocols. Later, we even see in the Enterprise show that there's this ethical dilemma with Archer and Flocks when the Enterprise encounter two species, one with a genetic illness and the other without. And well, we're going to plug this Archer quote, and he kind of just, kind of, you can see a foreshadowing of the Prime Direct. Roll that clip, Luna. Someday, my people are going to come up with some sort of a doctrine, something that tells us what we can and can't do out here, should and shouldn't do. But until somebody tells me that they've drafted that directive, I'm going to have to remind myself every day that we didn't come out here to play God. And I believe that is the episode comes from Dear Doctor. So powerful stuff. I mean, they don't want to play God out in the universe and pick winners and losers, you know. So the fundamental principles were an important part of the Earth Starfleet procedures as early as 2152. And But the general order number one, as we know it in this golden age of Star Trek in the 80s and 90s, didn't come around to about 2168. And the directive main, I mean, remains in full effect even to now, well into the 24th century, and applied to, I mean, all of Starfleet, merchant vessels. They even really pumped it as something that even citizens, non-Starfleet people, but Federation citizens should abide by. So it's really a cultural... <laughs> platitude that people were like no you should follow this as a betterment for everyone involved and it's kind of plugged that way and pushed that way by the federation which is a question into of itself that we're about to get into so argument number one is the prime directive a good thing <laughs> so again we're just going to take a snippet of the prime directive that no starfleet personnel shall interfere with the normal and healthy development of alien life and culture. So the first point of contact is usually after warp drive is discovered. And they chose that, the Federation and the Vulcans, and they chose that critical point because by then that race would be able to explore the universe and affect the lives of the other alien civilizations and the other warp-capable civilizations around them. Usually this comes in a time when the races, like the alien race or the species, their development to the point where they can handle the responsibility of this technology and the interplanetary communications and, and being diplomatic and, and basically civil, you know, out into the wild blue yonder. And it, I mean, to me, it's not always the case. I mean, there's sometimes you have like the Curzon of the Delta Quadrant or the Hunters as the crew of the Voyager inter interacted with. So that's not always the case, but that's kind of the reasoning behind picking warp drive as the moment that, okay, now we need to reveal ourselves. So even though the Vulcans were aware 
of the conflicts on Earth long before Zephyrin Cochran discovered warp technology, they still came and they still <laughs> gave us that, like, hey, we're not alone. And that was a unifying moment for Earth and that we kind of stopped all our differences and we unified as a people and a planet and a species to be like, hey, we need to stick together. It's a big old galaxy out there. So we're going to move on to a couple examples of why the Prime Directive is good. So the first example is what I like to call the caveman example. And so the Federation is completely and ridiculously more advanced than a pre-warp civilization. Almost like comparing first world countries to cavemen like thousands of years ago, you know. So if we were to offer our technology for to some of these people like the cavemen in this hypothetical situation, what would happen to these cavemen? Um, they would abandon their way of life pretty much in pursuit of this technology and using this technology. Um, they probably start worshiping um, people that brought the technology as gods. I mean, this is, has happened in the Star Trek universe. And it would be completely dependent on the giver of that technology for a very long time. Next, eventually they would basically become us and then we conquer them. So we're colonizing them. And at the end of the game, we destroyed a culture. So if we just throw our technology at people who are not ready for it and they can't handle it, there's a lot of ramifications that eventually lead to a destroyed culture. And that's what we don't want. We don't want people's culture to be destroyed. We want to preserve it as best we can. The other argument for the Prime Directive being good is that the Prime Directive isn't about people. It's about entire civilizations over millennia and over these quote-unquote galactic empires. So that if, a, for example, if a million people on Earth right now would die, things like technological advancement wouldn't be very different, especially over a long period of time, like let's say like a thousand years. And I mean, you could always say, well, devil's advocate, like if there's an important leader or influential person in that million people that died, okay, it, it would probably be tough and they'd be irreplaceable, but the odds of that happening would be pretty low. So if you want to say, especially in those Star Trek situations where it's like, well, so many people are going to die, but in the end game, is it really going to matter in a million years or even a thousand years? No, probably not. And that's tough to pill to swallow, but, and just a preference, I'm not arguing for this. This is not my beliefs. This is just what my research has showed why the prime directive is a good thing. And another example is the dinosaur theory. So imagine if the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs never struck, then what would it, then we wouldn't exist because things would be so different. And we'd be hunted by velociraptors and as the ultimate nightmare of my five-year-old self. Thank you, Jurassic Park. <laughs> so it is natural for species to get extinct eventually and then survive ever-changing environments, survival of the fittest, yada, yada. We all know Darwin. So sometimes natural disasters and political problems are things that a civilization must survive and must solve on their own to evolve and advance. I mean, imagine if a race or species didn't learn how to deal with tyrants and they eventually get into the universe and then they don't know how to... What happens if they get overrun? What happens if they get exposed to a tyrant? They're just that gullible. So it's just, to me, it's like it opens a can of worms when species and 
and races that have never gone through the struggle of evolution can just suddenly go out into the stars and interacting with civilizations that have. Okay. Oh goodness. <laughs> I want a preference. I these are this is my research, not arguing for it. Just say, hey, these are the facts, people. Giving you the full spectrum. Trying to be an unbiased as I can here. And I mean, also moving on, there's a very thin line between helping and controlling and helping and influencing. So what if Federation gave a bunch of like food replicators or like um, power couplings or something like that and ends up in the hands of crime lords and tyrants, you know, which is very likely. And so, I mean, you replace hunger from that planet or that people, but instead of hunger, they get oppression and tyranny. So if an entire planet is starving, then clearly they're living over the planet's resources and giving them food replicators and that would ease the symptom, but then worsen the problem of overpopulation and then giving tech advanced technology to the hands of unprepared cultures is just way too risky. In the words of Thanos, perfectly balanced as all things should be. <laughs> wow. Also, it is argued that it would be very hypocritical to refuse help in a civil war political conflict. I mean, it would be morally questionable for some outside people to step in and force federation values on everyone at risk or to risk a federation war over just one people. Compare that to just not helping at all. So, so I mean, there's, there's definitely good things about the Prime Directive that it makes civilizations be stronger on their own, evolve, and that's very important. Also, it keeps their culture and it cements it until they can get pre until they can get warp and go out into the stars. <laughs> and also, it keeps the Federation from being like a colonizer and just taking over planets just to spread the values of the Federation, which is something you could argue that they do now, but that's not this podcast episode. However, I think it is important that. I mean, I think the meaning is well when they set out this prime directive that, okay, we just need to let civilizations be on their own, do their own thing, which I think is great. <laughs> I'm a libertarian, leave me alone type of thing. But when it comes into questionable circumstances, do you really want a billion people to die? Even though they argue, well, it's not going to be really matter in a thousand years still. Life is life. Anyway, I don't want to get into the next argument too much because we're going to be arguing number two, point number two, is the Prime Directive a bad thing? And I mean, this is a loaded question that could be a semester class in an undergraduate philosophy major. You know, it is a very complex argument, but we're going to just deal with a little highlights here. And to me, another example and I kind of felt this a little bit when researching for the approve, like why the Feder why the prime directive is a good thing, is that it's what I like to call the first world, third world example. It's like saying we shouldn't help any country that's not a first world country. You know, to bring it back on Earth, it would be like we wouldn't it would be like we wouldn't want to influence the way third world countries are evolving. 
are growing as a culture. So we wouldn't want the United States to go into, I don't know, third world country is, um, Chad. And if anybody's from Chad, I'm sorry. But it's just like, we wouldn't want to go in and impose everything because that's not right either. And, and colonize and, and become imperial warlords over them. That's not right. And I mean, most societies don't act this way, nor do people act this way, I believe. We attempt to help out everyone we can. And yes, sometimes bad things happen, but more often than not, an understanding, an education, and a, welpi- and a welcoming into the global community happens when aid is given to third world countries. And even then, there are still decades of hard work, and it's not an easy transition, but that doesn't mean we don't help those people out in need. And I mean, to put it, this is what some of my research came out, is that imagine if rich countries in the world formed a league unto themselves and then refused to help anybody that weren't as advanced as them. Now, you could some people could argue, Jonathan, we already got that. <laughs> and it would be hard to disagree. But again, we're not going into politics here. Um, so that's a scenario that we would have on Earth. It's kind of like, imagine if we would just have this massive first world country conglomeration in that, okay, sorry, Ethiopia, you're not on the same level as Italy, so we can't give you aid and help for this famine because, you know what, you just got to struggle and come up with your own solutions because that's how you learn. But, I mean, that's not the real case in our world. On our planet, we run charities, food drives, global conferences attempting to better the situation of others. And it has been the case of really the past 150 years, we've done that. Like we've seen people in tyranny or abused and the world will come and try to rescue them out of it. World War II is a prime example, but I mean, you could even go in the earlier, like the 90s with Desert Storm when Iraq annexed Kuwait. And I was like, nah, that's not cool. You can't do that. (laughs) So I think it's almost an excuse of the Federation to not intervene and absolve themselves of difficult situations of difficult decisions. So to have a blanket statement saying, do you know what? We're just not going to help. That's easier than answering and coming up with solutions to difficult problems. Now I would say that makes a lot of sense, (laughs) you know, because I think you can, it's a balancing act. I think you can help, but you also can answer and not give everything away. This comes out to in Voyager and in Enterprise a lot. And it's what I like to call like the Native American example. So in Enterprise and Voyager, they talk about not giving technology away to people that are less advanced because they'll destroy themselves. And that's simply not the case. (laughs) I think the writers said that in Enterprise and Voyager because they had all of the golden age of Star Trek Prime Directive to kind of work around, and they were kind of painted into a corner. And the best example of that is the Native Americans here in the United States, is that they were given guns and horses and etc., and they didn't wipe themselves out with it. They thrived. You know, they actually better prepared a way to defend their life and their culture with those weapons and those horses and, like, kind of functioning of that way. So, Technology didn't destroy them outright. It actually improved their lives. And I think so making that as an excuse to be like, I can't give it to these people because they can't handle it. And those go crazy and bonkers. 
Like, mm, not always. And just as that one example, sometimes if the if the people are responsible and the species is responsible, I think it I think it could work totally. And I mean, not to mention a number of native tribes that became better at using the said technology than those who gifted it to them. So that's a little little fun fact there. And I mean, there's also a number of Star Trek episodes that show people stealing future tech and then having that improve their society and not crumbling it or going into all-out war or tyranny. So if Voyager is to be believed, it's only by getting advanced technology, like during a pre-warp era, that humans were able to rise through the ranks and become the dominant species in the quadrant. Humans of all species should be aware that giving tech to developing species can be a great, great benefit. I mean, we even saw that with the doctor and the hollow emitter badge thing. Like, it's still a great benefit to have him around, but it didn't collapse him. Another example is the Bajoran example. Now, my problem might be in looking at how Janeway Picard used the Prime Directive, specifically like when Janeway knew a planet was about to be destroyed. And she refused to help because she said the destruction is okay because they're pre-warp. And we're just not even going to talk about it. Just move on with their lives. But even still, if there's a planet that is starving and pre-warp, why allow the Prime Directive to prevent interference? I'm sure the people on planet starvation would love a little help from above. And they probably don't want the join us and change your way of life type of help, but just... Hey, buddy, here's some food. Don't die. Have a good day. That type of help would surely be appreciated, you know? Or, you know, helping the Bajorans. So Trek loves talk to, loves, and especially DS9, loves to talk about how terrible the Nazis were. But when they actually had a chance to help free, quote-unquote, the Jews from the Nazis on Bajor, the Federation just looked back and watched. They didn't do anything. So the occupation from Cardassia on the Bajorans and they didn't do anything. They just sat there and watched and they just twiddled their thumbs in the holodecks and questioned how anything like that could happen on ever on earth. So my thing is, is that it's very hypocritical to be like, do you know what? We're totally against this type of oppression and tyranny and violation of human rights and species rights, but when we see it, we're not going to do anything about it. And it's not our problem, and it's not our fight. It's just an example that they didn't help out, even though they could have. So, a little fun fact. We're going to move into the opinion part now of your humble, humble anchor. And I just want to say, uh, it took July 4th off, took a little bit of a break. But now, I've been researching a lot, and I was like, do you know what? Is there a backstory? Because normally in Trek, there's always a reason why Roddenberry did something. And believe it or not, there is something for the Prime Directive. So the Prime Directive is one of those quote-unquote boxes that Gene Roddenberry forced the writers into, using it to show how enlightened the future is and how from someone living through like a Cold War, that kind of philosophy would make a lot of sense. And I mean, don't worry, like talking about history here. So hold on to your britches. I believe Roddenberry would have seen the first world's involvement, like the major countries involvement around the world 
as a disaster and having those disastrous results like the United States and South America and China and Africa and Afghanistan. He said that's probably not going to be ending good results. And he was kind of correct. Now, it's only from the advancement in technology and transport and learning from mistakes that the first world can help less developed countries. But still, the world isn't sunshine and rainbows and lollipops, you know. So another factor that would be for the Federation to avoid kind of the issues with the Prime Directive is that I think they would be afraid that they would become like the Cardassians, you know, that they would become these imperialistic colonizers taking over planet to planet to planet enforcing their federation values on people probably not really a good look and that's obviously not what you want in the futuristic holistic society that Roddenberry was trying to come up with so again favoring prime directive and why he was pushing it but then again the prime directive could only work if every advanced civilization agreed to uphold it but we know that doesn't happen so the Federation is leaving populations of these M-class worlds across the universe vulnerable to exploitations by the Romulans, the Klingons, the Dominion, and who are definitely more nefarious than the Federation is. So are they leaving them kind of just exposed? But in my humble, trekky opinion, I believe the rule of don't interfere if they're all going to die because blank is a bad idea. But the rule of, hey, Cardassia, you need to back up. You need to leave these people alone to make their pottery and cave paintings because they need to evolve is the right move. You know, like you need to leave people alone so they can evolve, but also not die at the same time. So it's it's a tricky situation, a one-off situation. But also the rule of, let's watch in our visible drones next to a village as the women die in pain and agony in childbirth and the babies die from insects that we could cure in an instant. Yeah, that's not good either. <laughs> so a lot of times, as we learn, people sometimes, species like the Vulcans, will overwatch species develop and evolve, but not help them. So I feel like that's that's not right either. And again, it's, it's kind of, to me, maybe this prime directive, a new one should be brought in. So this is what I think. Any pre-warp civilization shall receive like almost a protected status upon discovery within Federation ter- ter- territory or those Federation allies. So they're not left out to dry and be like, hey, like you might get completely ransacked and overtaken by the Vulcans or the, not the Vulcans, but like the Romulans or the Cur- uh, Cardassians or the Klingons. So that's not smart. So maybe give them protection status. And even though no one's going to interfere with them, no one's going to, like, you know, conquer them, which is good. <laughs> I mean, you could even, let's just run off the top of my head, put like a cloak station, like in orbit around the planet, so they could study and mark so that the, the you know, protection from the Federation, so they're not left oval, like left on their own. And I mean, God forbid if a global catastrophe takes place, and it's believed a significant portion of the population of the sentient creatures on the planet will be wiped out, then as many of the population as is feasible could be moved to a neighboring star system or appropriate environment with the presence of the Federation revealed to them and then the option to go live on Federation planets become Federation citizen after a time of adjusting. So I think that's totally cool. Like if somebody big thing came down and was like, hey, the planet's going to blow up, the sun's about to blow up, 
you need to get off the earth. They'd be like, you're right. We need to get off earth. <laughs> so I don't think they would lose your culture in that way. You're just kind of preserving your culture. I mean, even if you wanted to get real technical, like I think it's okay for other people and empires or, or civilizations to come and check out the planets under the protective status and scan them maybe, and even deploying their own stations and, but not like having, um, claiming the planet for themselves you know none of that leave these people alone just for study for the time being because you know what like the dominion coming in and claiming all these planets under federation control and then that's this whole nother war and we don't want to get into that i think it is possible to openly interact with a primitive culture i mean primitive being fairly condescending but you know what i mean like i think it's totally possible to openly interact without doing any harm. I think there's a difference between handing out first aid kits versus handing out blueprints and nuclear weapons. I think it's definitely possible, but that's been the end. We went a, went a little bit longer today than normal, but it is a deeper subject. So that has been the prime directive. Good, bad, maybe everything in between. Let's hit it, Luna. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. And again, we have um, 50th episodes coming up. We're really excited about that. And can't really talk about it yet. <laughs> but um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And also, remember guys, um, you can hit us up on Instagram at Omega Particle Podcast, on Facebook, Omega Particle, and as well as Twitter, Omega Particle underscore. Happy to hang out with you guys and talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for the support and outpouring. I know I was a little bit vulnerable on my, on my last episode, and it was great talking with you guys about dealing with whether it be narcissistic parents or just toxic relationships. It was really great. I really appreciate that. And um, again, always hit me up if you want to suggestions for the episode or just talk about any of the subjects we go over. It's always great and fun. And always remember, guys, second star of the right, straight on till morning.